Okay, welcome back. Thank you so much to Anthony and the worship team for leading us in a time of music and song. I forgot to mention earlier that today I am at my son's preschool. Uh, well, it's a preschool slash church in Pasadena and nobody's here. Um, they're still meeting online like everyone else and so uh, they were gracious enough to let me use this facility. I did get their permission. Uh, so thank you so much to uh, Pasadena Nazarene Church for letting me use their facility today. I, I like to be anywhere that has lots of trees and greenery and this campus is really nice. So thank you so much. Um, I had this really interesting conversation with my wife um, a couple days ago and I asked her uh, if I could share this story and she said yes. Uh, but she did uh, look at my notes to approve it. Because the past few years have been very, very unpredictable for us. Now this past year has been very unpredictable for everyone, right? But uh, these past three years have been very, very unpredictable, um, especially for uh, me and my family. It started off by me trying to start a new ministry with this like large Korean church in Glendale uh, shortly to realize that we couldn't really create the kind of church that we had envisioned and the kind of church that God had put on our hearts unless we started from scratch and so that's kind of how we started this journey of church planting um, by just meeting regularly as a house church and at that time, we were fortunate enough to be living with my mother-in-law in her home. So in 2018, um, we sold our home in Arcadia and moved in with my uh, mother-in-law, uh, which is Becky's mom, uh, into her home in Pasadena because she was living by herself in this like big spacious house. And so... Uh, it was kind of intimidating uh, living in this big home by herself and you know we had uh, two kids and so um, uh, to kind of help her out with you know some of the payments and all that stuff and just you know the fact that she doesn't have to live in this like big house by herself uh, we moved in with her and we lived there for a while for like two years roughly and but it worked out well because that served as our meeting space for our church plant for our, as you know in the early stages of our church we were meeting as a house church which many of you will remember we had many of our sunday gatherings in that big empty room <laughs> at the front of the house and then we had a lot of activities as well like in the backyard we even had like a adult easter egg hunt where we had like gift cards and easter eggs and so that house was really a big gift for us. In November of 2020, uh, which obviously was during COVID lockdown, uh, we sold that house and my mother-in-law moved into her new condo recently, uh, which is still in Pasadena. And while my family and I were looking for a permanent house of our own, we moved into an apartment near Old Town, Pasadena. Um, the process of looking for a new home has been really hard. Um, we found a few houses that we really, really liked. Um, you know, some in Glendale, some in Pasadena, some in like San Gabriel Valley area. But, uh, and, and we even made offers on some of these houses, but they all got outbid. Like this housing market is crazy right now, which we did not expect, which probably not a lot of people expected. 
And so we were just kind of uh, waiting it out and living in this apartment, which was nice, you know. Um, we met some nice neighbors and our kids made some new friends. Um, but uh, last week, um, Becky and I looked at a house that we really liked. So we made an offer on that house um, the next day and the uh, uh, homeowners accepted our offer that very same day later in that evening and so uh, we are now in escrow for a new house which is crazy and it happened really really fast it seemed like a lot of waiting and then when it happened it happened really fast which is crazy and this was just like a little over a week ago which is nuts but that it's a really old house and so it needs a lot of work so it'll be some time before we move in and so it requires a lot of renovations and at, you know Becky was talking about this a little bit and she had kind of uh, mixed feelings about purchasing and renovating this home um, which is kind of surprising for me to hear um, but you know I, I was I was trying to hear her out and she said sometimes she feels like a fraud uh, like we're just pretending to be adults and this was very surprising for me to hear from her because uh, I think so highly of my wife. I, I think so highly of Becky. Um, she's this very accomplished graphic designer. She is a, kind of a successful small business owner. She is a loving, caring mom. She is a very caring, nurturing friend. And she's a great mentor to several young adult women in her life. And she's even been super into like health and fitness lately. Um, she exercises a lot and she's even studying to be a certified nutritionist right now, which has been kind of a new development. So uh, she is this very ambitious person. And yet um, she was saying that she feels like a fraud. And as I was listening to her describe how she's been feeling, um, she was really describing having feelings of imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Um, now, if you've never heard this term before, it's loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. Okay, doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. If you just Google uh, imposter syndrome, there are many different articles on it. Um, but it's a relatively new... Um, it's not a new phenomenon because people have felt like this you know many many years but it's a newly identified phenomenon where they were able to give a name to it it's the sense that uh you don't deserve to be in the place where you are or um you don't deserve to have all the things that you've achieved in your life interestingly this is uh most commonly experienced by women and people of color uh, disproportionately okay uh, women and people of color experiences uh, the most but on the other hand uh, those who have never experienced imposter syndrome probably uh, are sometimes a bit overconfident where um, and if you've worked as an adult long enough, okay, uh, especially if you've worked full-time in a particular career, uh, you'll realize that confidence does not always equate competence. Sometimes the most confident people in the world are totally uh, 
incapable <laughs> and, and incompetent in, in what they do. This season that we're in, um, these past 13 months, it's kind of thrust many individuals into feeling this way of feeling um, the, these feelings of uh, like they're an imposter, right? Um, like they don't deserve the things that they have in their lives or maybe they feel somewhat insignificant or maybe they feel um, uh, unseen or maybe even invisible. But just because you feel that way does not mean that you are that way, right? Just because you feel insignificant does not mean you are insignificant. And just because you feel unqualified does not mean that you're actually unqualified. These past 13 months, there have been tremendous amounts of transitions, changes, and shifts in people's lives that have occurred. People have lost jobs and people have gotten new jobs. People moved out of LA and people moved into LA. People uh, ended relationships and people started new relationships. And through it all, there have been uh, much self-reflection along the way, along with feelings of self-doubt, disappointment, and disillusionment. Interestingly, the life of the great prophet Moses has a lot to teach us about imposter syndrome. And the passage that we looked at today is uh, in many ways um, ruminations of the great prophet Moses kind of going through these things and expressing these things out loud to none other than God himself. And if we look at Moses's life, okay, it's kind of like um, the perfect example of how someone overcame all of these like uh, self-doubt and like disillusionment and disappointments and actually came to this place of health, vitality, and um, success uh, in a very spiritual way. Now, I, I found this great graphic online of Moses' timeline, which I'll pull up right now. And it's great. So, uh, there, uh, it's broken up into um, six different sections, okay? It's broken up into six sections. Uh, the early years, Moses as God's liberator, Moses and the Exodus, the Ten Commandments, desert wandering, and the battles and the final years of Moses' life, okay? Now, let's go back to the beginning. Now, Moses, um, you know, even if you don't consider yourself a Christian or um, you're not really uh, that into church, you probably heard of the name Moses, okay? Uh, there have been many movies made about um, this famous man. He is probably the greatest prophet um, that the Israelites have ever had. Um, there are many holidays that uh, the Israelites the, uh, still like Jews still celebrate to this day um, that has to that's kind of connected to Moses like Passover and um, Yom, Yom Kippur right and um, yeah so Moses is probably the greatest prophet that the Israelites have ever had in their history now King David is the greatest king that the Israelites have ever had and Moses is the greatest prophet that the Israelites or the Jews 
uh, have ever had. Now in the early years, uh, as you can see here in this graphic, um, he was born uh, to the second generation of Israelites who were born into slavery in Egypt. All right, so um, which means that like uh, there have been several people who um, many people, millions literally, who have been born into slavery in Egypt. They don't know any other life other than what it means to be a slave in Egypt. Um, and Pharaoh had heard these like gossips or um, pro of prophecies that uh, a, a young Israelite man would lead these Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt. And so he gave this command that all male Israelite children under a certain age uh, should be killed. All right? And so this was a great time of mourning where a lot of male babies were pretty much slaughtered uh, all throughout the land of Egypt. It was a really, really uh, great time of grieving and mourning. Now, uh, Moses' mother um, and uh, his sister, they uh, made a basket uh, and hid Moses as a baby and sent him down the Nile River. And it was none other than Pharaoh's daughter who found Moses and drew him out of the river and so that's how he got his name Moses which is uh, from Moshe which means drawn out of water very creative um, <laughs> very literal so Moses actually grows up in Egypt um, in the family of Pharaoh which is crazy because it's actually Pharaoh who was trying to kill Moses uh, when he was a baby by killing all of these Israelite babies and so he grew up um, as an Egyptian, uh, as a royal Egyptian, uh, no less, uh, but he was aware that he was different, okay? And he was aware that he was a Jew because his mother and um, sister had told him so. Um, now, one day, uh, he went out um, to, to where the Israelite slaves were working, and he witnessed this um, Egyptian slave master uh, beating... Uh, a Israelite man to death right and this pissed off Moses and something within him knew that this was not right um, and uh, he accidentally kills this slave master okay he doesn't do it on purpose he accidentally kills him okay just trying to stop him from attacking this slave and so he runs away okay he runs away because um, he was afraid that Pharaoh was going to punish him um, by death so he runs away and he goes to this land called Midian, okay, which is in the Sinai Peninsula. And he lives as a shepherd among these people uh, of, of, of Midian for 40 years. Um, he he uh, takes a wife there. Her name is Zipporah, right? And he has children there and he lives there for 40 years, okay? Uh, by the time he leaves Egypt, he's a young adult and now he's an old man after 40 years. Now, uh, before we um, go into uh, go any further, okay, I want to point out that the reason why um, Moses was um, he ran away and he lived in this wilderness um, called Midian for forty years was because of something uh, dramatic that happened. Oftentimes, something dramatic happens in our lives. And we are thrust into 
a season of living in a liminal space. We, something dramatic happens in our lives and then we live in this season of wilderness. This is exactly what happened to all of us in the past 13 months. Something dramatic happened, which was COVID, all right, this global pandemic, right, which was killing people at a, at a crazy rate. And so we were in lockdown for the last, we're still in lockdown to a certain degree, right, for these past 13 months, which is our liminal season, which is our period of wilderness. So, and, and this could be true in, even in your own personal lives. Maybe something dramatic happened in the past where it kind of forced you to live in this like liminal space or a period of uh, wilderness in your life. Um, this could be a death of a loved one. This could be uh, losing a job. This could be um, maybe even graduating from college, right? And then kind of figuring your life out, okay? That could also be a liminal space, but graduating from college is something dramatic, okay? Uh, it do dramatic doesn't necessarily always mean something bad, okay? It's just kind of like a, uh, a heightened experience or, or kind of a milestone in your life, okay? Uh, markers in your life, if you will. So that's like Moses' like early years, okay? Um, early years meaning like now he's um, in his 60s or 70s, okay? Uh, and then the second stage of his life is Moses as God's liberator, all right? And this, it begins with the passage we just looked at today, which is Exodus chapter 3. On one day, uh, you know, remember Moses is a shepherd, okay? As he is leading um, his sheep up this uh, mountain uh, called, uh, called Horeb, uh, another name for it is Sinai, Moses encounters a bush that is burning, but it is not being consumed. Okay, immediately he notices that something is very strange, something is very odd about this bush. Okay, uh, he, is, he has seen thousands of bushes. He's literally seen thousands of bushes, right? And he knows what happens. He knows what it looks like when a bush is being burned. It gets consumed, right? But this bush was burning and burning and burning, but it was not being consumed. And so he, he waits, he stays there. Um, out of his curiosity uh, to see what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, he hears the voice of God, right? Uh, first, he says, uh, take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. And so Moses immediately obeys, which is interesting, okay? Because this dialogue that he's about to have with God is um, kind of very much different from that. And God gives him this command to return to Egypt, this place that he has not stepped foot in for 40 years, this place that he ran away from, okay, to free his fellow Israelites out of slavery. <laughs> this is millions of people who are slaves to the most powerful dominant force in the world, the Egyptian empire. And this is uh, the dialogue that we are observing today. Now, uh, Moses and God, um, at this scene where Moses is at the burning bush, okay, um, they have this long discussion about uh, the Israelites and how God cared deeply for the Israelites 
for many, many years, for literally for centuries and centuries, since the time of Abraham. All right? And he names these people uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because uh, he has a lot, he's telling Moses, I have a long history with these people. Okay? I know them. I care for them. I, I, I'm compassionate for them. All right? and, and he is just like, God is really just pouring out his heart to Moses in this dialogue. And so God just, he first kind of lays the groundwork to let Moses know, like, I care for these people, the Israelites, okay? And then God gives him this command to free the Israelites from slavery out of Egypt. However, Moses says no, okay? Moses declines God. He refuses God. Not just once, not twice, but five times. Okay, Moses declines God five times. Okay, let's just look at the breakdown of this, okay? The first time God gives Moses this command is in, Moses, uh, is in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. And then in verse 11, Moses says no. The second time God commands Moses to free the Israelites um, is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. And then in verse 13, Moses says no. The third time, it's in Exodus uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says no. And then the fourth time, it says um, uh, Moses commanded, uh, or God commanded Moses in chapter 4, 2 through 9. And in verse 10, Moses says no. And then the fifth time, God commands Moses in verses 11 through 12. And then in uh, chapter 4, verse 13, Moses says no. And then by this point, God is pissed off. I don't know how God waited this long, right? It just really shows how patient God is. Uh, in Exodus chapter 4, verses 14 through 17, God's, God gets angry and frustrated by this, um, by this point with Moses. And so um, it doesn't say that Moses replied, but uh, the fact that he um, actually does it kind of shows that, okay, maybe reluctantly. <laughs> by this point, Moses said yet, yeah, uh, yes. So within this exchange, we see these, uh, the three struggles that Moses is going through. Okay, uh, In this dialogue, Moses reveals these like three deep, internal, very personal struggles that he is going through. And among these three struggles of self, that's uh, what I'm calling it, Okay, these three struggles of self, You've probably experienced one, two, or maybe even all three of these struggles yourself at some time in your life, if not uh, in the past 13 months. And the first struggle that we see here, okay, is the struggle of indifference. The struggle of indifference. The first time that God commanded Moses to free the Israelites out of Egypt, God shared with Moses how he deeply cared for the Israelites and how he had compassion for them. Okay, this even begins before today's passage at the end of chapter 2. Okay? Um, but in verse 7 of Exodus 3, God said this, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out, and I'm concerned 
He sees them with his eyes, he hears them with his ears, and he's concerned for their suffering with his heart. Okay, God deeply cares about uh, his people. And yet Moses' response to this was, uh, is found in verse 11. Okay, this is Moses' first refusal. Okay, He says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Let me just underline a few phrases here. First, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites, okay, that's the second part that I want to point out, out of Egypt, which is the third part that I wanted to point out. When These are all very deliberate words that Moses is using. Who am I? In other words, why me? Why me? Why should I be the one to go? Right? So, so Moses is saying, like, why me? Right? I'm, I'm just here in Midian, like, trying to live this quiet pastoral life as a shepherd. Why me? Who am I? Right? That's the first thing that Moses says. Okay? And then he says, uh, bring the Israelites? Right? Bring, like, you want me to lead the Israelites? See, for... For Moses, you have to understand, okay, um, even though he knew that he was uh, a Hebrew, he did not identify with the Israelite people. He never, uh, just think about it, okay, he grew up in uh, the Pharaoh's courts, right, as a, a part of the royal uh, Egyptian army, or uh, royal Egyptian family, and he never really lived with Israelite people, ever, okay? And so he didn't identify with them, right? And so, um, in fact, when he first came to this area where he was living, um, when he encountered the burning bush um, with the Midians, the Midians first thought that Moses was full-on Egyptian, okay? Maybe of his clothes, maybe he was wearing some sort of like uh, Egyptian jewelry, I don't know, but um, maybe he, he, over time, maybe he even looked Egyptian. But... Uh, he didn't identify with the Israelites at all, okay? If anything, he identified more with the Egyptians. And lastly, Egypt, why would I want to go back to Egypt? Why, would, why in the world would Moses want to go back to Egypt? It's the place that he, he literally ran away from for fear of death, right? And he avoided this place for 40 years. So, Moses was so indifferent, apathetic to the plight of the Israelites. He didn't identify with them, and um, he didn't care for them, and he didn't want to, um, you know, stick his neck out for, uh, for them. He was completely indifferent for uh, what they were going through. A few days ago on my social media, on my Instagram, um, I shared a poem from, um, from this book, uh, The Poetry Pharmacy. Um, this is kind of like part two of the book. Um, the other book cover is red. But uh, there is this one poem in this book that was very poignant and it's relevant to this um, part of what Moses was experiencing. And um, I wanted to read it for you. It's from uh, Martin Nemolier. First, it came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I am not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, 
and I did not speak out because I am not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I am not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I am not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. How many of you um, this past year have become indifferent, apathetic, or calloused to all the pain that's been happening in the world? There are many times where personally I felt numb to the pain that others were experiencing. And I'm kind of um, embarrassed to share this with you because I'm a pastor, right? I'm supposed to be compassionate. I'm supposed to be sensitive and like caring for everyone who's hurting. But sometimes it just feels so overwhelming that in order to protect myself, I make myself numb. I make my heart numb to it all. Mass shootings, racially charged hate crimes, um, people living in poverty and homelessness. But reading this passage today reminded me that God cares. God cares deeply, actually, and He has great compassion on all of those who are suffering. He sees the misery of His people. He hears their cries, and He is concerned for their suffering. And in the ways that God invited Moses to soften his heart and to overcome his indifference, God is challenging all of us to soften our hearts, to see, to hear, and to feel the pain that others are experiencing so that we would be moved to action. The other thing, the other struggle that Moses was experiencing um, that was revealed to us in this exchange, in this dialogue, is the struggle of in insignificance. The struggle of insignificance. The second and third times that God commanded Moses to free the Israelites out of Egypt, God reassured Moses that he would be with him. He said in verse 12, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who has sent you. Yet Moses denies God again. He refuses God again. And he said to God in chapter 4, verse 1, What if they don't believe me or listen to me when I say the Lord did not appear to you? What if they don't believe me or listen to me and they say the Lord did not appear to you? In other words, what Moses is saying is they won't believe me. I'm a nobody. I'm insignificant. And Moses truly believed this. Interestingly, I think this is exactly what Moses wanted. He wanted to be insignificant. He wanted to be invisible so that people don't find him. Right? He wanted to live this quiet, kind of isolated life away from the city, okay? in this kind of uh, countryside, uh, in the wilderness. Right? Um, and he wanted to live this very insignificant, quiet, invisible life. There are many times in my lives where I felt insignificant. 
There are many times in my life where I felt like my actions, my words, um, or even my very existence itself felt insignificant. Have you ever felt this way this past year? Maybe you've tried some new things that weren't effective. Um, maybe you've applied for jobs that you just did not hear back from. Maybe you've tried to connect with people or tried to um, start a new relationship or something that just did not stick. It's difficult when you put yourself out there and your investment of time, energy, and resources is not reciprocated somehow. Times like these, it's so easy to sink into the deep abyss of isolation and feeling insignificant. Perhaps you feel like your own story um, is insignificant. If that's the case, God is not only inviting you, but He is challenging you to join into His own story. You see, God knew that Moses was so much more capable of doing more with his life. This is why God wouldn't let Moses off the hook when he refused first, second, third, and the fourth time. God is inviting all of us to step out of our feelings of insignificance. And lastly, the struggle that Moses was going through that perhaps all of us have gone through at one point or another in our lives is the struggle of imposter. The struggle of feeling like we're an imposter. The fourth and fifth times that God commanded Moses to free the Israelites out of Egypt, God gave Moses a very sp specific instruction on and God gave Moses very specific instructions and what to do and how to lead the Israelites. Use your staff. Use your cloak. Say these words. Gather these people. These are all very explicit things that God said to Moses in Exodus 3 and 4. Yet Moses' denial of this command, um, he said this to God, Pardon your servant, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. In other words, Moses is saying, I'm not qualified. I have all these weaknesses. Please send someone else. I am not the person you're looking for. I am not a leader. Yet this is precisely why Moses was the perfect person for the job of his humility and his realism and his honesty. When God calls us into faith, he calls us out of our comfort zones, which means we will often be challenged to do things we won't normally want to do. Moses repeatedly comes up with excuses um, but this is probably his biggest excuse of all when he, when he says, I am not eloquent, I am slow of speech and tongue. And to Moses' credit, um, he, was, he was being honest, right? It was true. 
Um, historians have noted that Moses most likely had some sort of speech impediment. In fact, Moses' brother Aaron was a far more charismatic, articulate public speaker. Uh, according to the world's standards, Aaron would have been the better person for the job. <laughs> Yet God chose Moses. Why? God chose the man with a speech impediment to be a prophet. God did this precisely to show God's greatness and God's support in human endeavors. To reveal God's power, not Moses' power. This is precisely why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God's grace is sufficient for you, for God's power is made perfect in our weakness. God's grace is sufficient for you, for God's power is made perfect in weakness. How have you struggled with one or three of these struggles in the past 13 months? Indifference, insignificance, or imposter? If you have, um, I invite you after um, this message to spend a couple minutes right now in God, to God in prayer, lifting these things up and asking God to give you the strength to step out of insignificance, to give you the heart to step out of indifference, or to give you the courage to step out of being or feeling like an imposter. Let's pray. Lord, you call us out. You call us out of our comfort zones. You call us out of our safe places. And you challenge us. You challenge us, Lord, to overcome our feelings of indifference, insignificance, and imposter. And the reason why you do this is precisely because you want us to grow. You want us to grow in our hearts. You want us to grow in our um, in our spirits. You want us to grow in our faith. And you want us to draw closer to you. And as we step out in faith, as we put ourselves out there more, we know that you will do a wonderful thing with it. I know that there are so many times that I've felt these these three in my life, in my own uh, personal life, yet I am so glad that um, I am still here. I am so glad that you have given me the strength to continue and that you've surrounded me with wonderful people, with wonderful family, with this wonderful community at Perch to encourage me along the way. And for anyone who is watching, participating right now, who have felt one, two, or maybe all three of these things, would you convict their hearts, Lord, and really challenge them to grow and to step out of their comfort zones, just as Moses had thousands of years ago. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.